they're the one that's got the voice. They're the one that's able to sell their story. And the way we can sell our story is by using our, our ourselves as an industry, banding together, putting forth anything we can and getting involved and making our voice heard. And welcome to episode 433 of Bruise News Week, recorded on Thursday, the 31st of August, 2023. I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and with me are Sabrina Kunz of two different roles that we're probably going to discuss, and uh, Ian Watson, who is an industry consultant and a brewer. So you've got two different roles as well, Ian. Welcome to you both. Welcome, welcome to all four of you. Happy Thursday. <laughs> Happy Thursday. And where are you joining us from, Matt? You're in Sydney, aren't you? I am. Apologies for any audio uh, quality issues. I'm uh, just down in Sydney for uh, overnight. Um, I, actually, for well, doing a lot of work during the day, but last night I went to see Wicked with my daughters. So it was uh, Aww, a night of musical theatre, um, which was very nice. But uh, it's been days of meetings and a lot of reporting um has happened this week so uh, how about we just get straight into it? Well, actually before we do that let me explain that reference um sabrina or maybe you want us to explain that reference that uh you're doing multiple roles now you are still general manager of bruce news for a couple of days a week yeah i'm doing um as everybody knows you know i like to get in onto the into the weeds on some issues and so i've taken on two days a week as the manager of strategic projects for the iba and, you know, that title is as nebulous as it sounds. Um, I've been given a list of tasks to do. Um, but first cab off the rank, which we will no doubt come to, is um, looking at all of the ongoing consultations around labelling with Food Standards Australia. So um, I'm going to be try to be really careful today um, that I'm speaking in my personal capacity. I'm not speaking on behalf of the IBA or the IBA's views on any of the things that we're talking about. Uh, and so you'll hear me be try to be really thoughtful about when I'm speaking, who I'm speaking and which voice I'm speaking in because I'm really conscious of the conflicts of interest or perceived conflicts of interest um, and making sure that I'm not doing anything to undermine the IBA. Um, but as everybody knows, I've got lots of thoughts on lots of things. So we'll see how we go. Given given that first cab off the rank today in all of your reporting, Matt, has been a couple more stories on um, the inquiry into the competitiveness of Australia's beer industry. And we'll talk about that, but just before we do that, you know, I, I will sort of let listeners know that you are uniquely placed to be working for the IBA, given your background working for the Brewers Guild of New Zealand, which is the uh, equivalent association. And uh, yeah, Brewers News, um, you, you've been working with Brewers News for 18 months now, 12, 18 yeah, months. Like and uh, yeah. you know, like, like every other brewery business or business in, in the country, um, you know, we're very mindful of how tough it is for us. And um, you know, the IBA, as everyone heard it during BrewCon, has resourcing issues and particularly skilled resourcing issues. And it was a good time for you to uh, help them out while also, uh, yeah, so we, we just sort of. It worked out say? for everyone. It worked out for everybody. Yeah, just battening down the hatches a little bit while we wait and see what happens in the, in the industry. So, uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's what that's about. But let's talk about the news. And, yeah, look, I've. Um, I feel almost like I've been a political journalist this week, a political correspondent, because I've been uh, spending a lot of time over the last few weeks listening to evidence at parliamentary inquiries. Um, Qantas got all of the mainstream 
headlines, but we were there to cover the uh, the news the, that really matters. The, 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 the standing committee on economics looking looking at the dynamism of the Australian economy, and uh, having previously had what is fair to say a, a bomb dropped by Tim Cooper a couple of weeks ago, and then. Um, you know, probably the predictable uh, evidence given by the IBA um, about the state of competition. Um, this week, we've heard from Lion and CUB. First up was David Smith from Lion, uh, you know, and saying, as you would expect um, them to say, it's a highly competitive industry, according to them. Uh, you know, they're under pressure from the 600 independents. Um, interesting to hear that they've got 34% uh, of the market, and they were saying that CUB has you know fifty or low fifties, um, which would make it eighty four minimum percent of the Australian beer market is dominated by those two. Um, David Smith was, I read him as like it really sounded like he was really trying to say that both Line and CUB's shares had gone down. Um, Can I just when, jump in yep. there, Matt? So David Smith is Lion. Um, managing and Dr- uh, managing Matt, director. Matt, and we're going to follow this up with CUB, but you just made the point that Lion are saying CUB and Lion together have an 84% share and CUB are saying CUB and Lion together have an 80% share. Well, yeah. Which is important because uh, precisely what constitutes market power and market domination and the reason they're playing on the edges. And it would be shocking that these two entities can't come together on who has what percentage market share. Well, they would both have an – I mean, Lion was quite confident that it had 34% market share and clearly they don't want to say – because it's not publicly available – they don't want to say what CUBs is, Um, but they said it was around high 40s or 50. CUB, in their evidence, said it was 50. So even if you just add those two together, it's 84%. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Sellers, uh, who is the general chief officer of Asahi, really tried to bring that figure down to 80%. You know, talking about it's come down from 90% down to 80% because both of them in their own way, um, and, and it really highlighted the differences between the businesses in their approach but both are trying to say independents have grown by you know to to about 15 16 percent of the market over the last 10 years which has come at their expense um both of them want to include coopers in the competitive marketplace both of them want to say that coopers is a substantial competitor um and the most interesting thing was on one hand cub when it came to tap contracts wanted to hold up the ACCC's inquiry that said there is no loss of, you know, tap contracts don't diminish competition. Um, but then they also wanted to say that Coopers is a substantial competitor, whereas the ACCC also found in 2005 that Coopers isn't a substantial competitor because it's so small. So classic case, and any, any business is going to do this, classic case where they want uh, – to have their cake and eat it too. They want the ACCC's findings when it suits them. They don't want the ACCC's findings when it doesn't suit them. Um, but they really want to say that the 650-odd breweries are significant competitors to them. Um, you know, the, the, the sorry, I'll, I'll just uh, round it out by saying um, 
the most interesting thing that I found was both of them wanted to talk about cap contracts um, and that there was that their contracts didn't get in the way. And Lyon actually came out and said, our tap contracts don't get in the way. And David Smith used the phrase, we have an absolute policy of not getting in the way, even though Bruce News has written in the past that when Stone and Wood was independent, Stone and Wood was specifically named in Lyon's contracts. Um, and that happens to Coopers as well. Coopers have gone on the record with you saying that they have cited contracts in which Coopers are excluded. Their sales representatives, you know, and, and well, the, the contract I wrote about Stone and Wood, Coopers was specifically mentioned in that one. So we know that Lion does, and I would imagine that CUB would be exactly the same. And then they want to get into semantic debates about whether they target small brewers, which is what Lion did um, four years ago arguing that, you know, we don't get the way of small brewers, which by implication meant that Stone and Wood wasn't a large brewer. Um, when the ACCC has found that Coopers at 5% was a small brewer. Um, and then they want to, you know, I, I would imagine they want to say that Coopers isn't regarded as an independent. So um, basically they really were doing their level best to paint a competitive marketplace and that they don't get in the way, um, whereas their contracts absolutely do specify, um, you know, categories. We want to be the only mid-strength beer on. We want to be the only mid-strength lager on. We want to be the only pale ale on. Um, and if they if they go beyond that, they actually name breweries that they want to target. And you know, it it was really really interesting to see the different way that they both did it. Um, but there are yeah, so. It, Parliament just wasn't able to even just didn't have the ammunition to even come back at them um, to refute their, their, their arguments, which kind of makes, you know, they're, they're taking evidence. They're not cross-examining in any meaningful way. Yeah, I think that's but but I think, you know, this is this is the ongoing challenge. And we've seen a lot of comments um, under the in the Radio Brews News group and online with people saying, I have a personal experience that is X. And the position of the IBA has been for a long time, if you have evidence, give it to us. Because right now the ACCC is saying we're not going to investigate. Again, it comes back to um, they don't have significant, the ACCC doesn't have significant resources for investigation. And if the if the independent industry wants to make and wants to demonstrate that there is in fact an abuse of market power then the obligation is on the industry to gather that information and make a cogent case and it just keeps coming back to a lack of resources both within the IBA within the ACCC means that undertaking a level of robust investigation to make the case to be able to back up what we routinely hear from sales reps on the ground from breweries um, is is nigh impossible. And to your point, Matt, around they're just taking evidence, um, these big entities, Lion and CUB, have entire teams that are able to prep them to give evidence. And independent breweries are so um, disparate, and I don't mean that in a negative way, I just mean so small, so all across the country, that they don't have entire teams that can do this data gathering. And it, it's just making the case, I think, to me personally, 
again and again and again and again about why breweries need to be prepared to spend some time putting the case together, providing the data in things that can be backed up, checked, that are factual, that are not I heard from Fred, but that is like a here's a copy um, I witnessed. We, we need to gather the information. The thing for me was that at a minimum um, the government rep questioning said it still sounds like substantial market power. How are you, you know, you're doing price setting. So it sounded to me like at least they came away with an understanding that there were two dominating players. What what I struggle with is that, again, this is focusing on taps. Um, this is part of the broader... Con- so, so independent small breweries are being hit with duopolies in three directions. A, taps... B, retail, and C, quite frankly, on raw ingredient inputs, particularly when it comes around to cans. And so when you take those three duopolies um, and the lack of market power for small businesses, it really paints a, a challenging picture for precisely why the craft beer industry is in the place it's in, or independent industries in the place it's in. And my last comment would be, given these headwinds, it is indie brewers have scrapped to get that market share and what it means is big money has not been able to fully fight off with all the money basically in the world as compared to small breweries has not been able to fight off the appetite from consumers for more choice and to support more local independence and that hasn't come with any sort of significant backing amongst the large scale of indies so to get to that market share even with coopers involved in that five percent of the 15 percent is a pretty extraordinary outcome given the barriers in place yeah um that was really frustrating reading uh, i've got to say um the, the, i'm sorry but these statements from lion there were um my eyes rolled uh, so far back in the head i wonder if i was ever going to see again um just seriously um the the statements there i i I find i i'm I'm staggered to 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 um believe that you can be so bold as to take that um positions to say that they don't stand in the way of independence and that there is significant competition out there and that when you walk into a bottle shop and you see all these um uh, um all these beer brands you know from small breweries that that represents significant competition in the the marketplace you know it's it's always just a matter of how you want to put any spit on things and what whatever story you give someone that's good with words any position and they'll be able to sell any story whether it's true or not it doesn't matter and that's exactly what's happening here it's just an absolute right rubbish but that's their job. I mean, their, their job is to advocate for their position. Absolutely. The job is for, for, for us, to, for, for me to advocate for, for mine. So, you know, I understand that, but I, I just can't get over how bold that, that, that um, those, those statements are and to, how you can keep a straight face and to stay that. But, you know, absolutely, that's, that's their job. Um, their job is to make money for their shareholders, and this is part of, part of doing that. And, and that's where to take Sabrina's point. And, you know, I've had people reach out. All I was doing in those articles was reporting on what was said, you know, it, it, which is my job as a journalist to, to report it. But then some people were sort of contacting as if my, you know, like as if I was making the statements as, as as positive arguments for the brewers. I'm going, no, I'm just reporting what they said. 
And then the implication from the contacts that I've had is, well, what are you going to do about it? And I'm kind of sitting here going, hold on. I've spent three hours a week listening to parliamentary um, inquiries this week. I've then had to sit down through the transcripts, you know, write the article. So it's 10, 12 hours of my week just reporting on, 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 on what's been done. What are you going to do about it? You know, I've, I've, I've highlighted what, what the arguments are. And it, you know, to, to me, it's very clearly these are the things that are being said by the big brewers. If you want to refute it, have you contacted your local member and said, "This is what was said in your parliament. This is untrue." Have you contacted and and all of the um, parliamentary contacts are listed on on the on the website? Have you contacted the committee to say, "Well, this was I've read that this was said in parliament this week. This is untrue because this is my experience and this is how I back it up." So they have questions that they can then put or follow up as part of the committee process and if your argument is well i haven't done that then do it and if your argument was well i don't have the time then my next question is are you a member of the the iba because if you are paying the iba then hopefully if enough people with in the same position do that the iba has got the resources to employ you know to, to engage somebody to create that argument and then they can lobby on your behalf and if the answer to that is no, then I'm sorry, you have no right to comment because you're not doing anything to help yourself. So that, that's right. That, that's that, that's harsh. But if, if if you're not lobbying your own members, and you know, it's not good enough to say there is a problem, but I don't have time to do anything about it. Matt, do you know what the scope of this inquiry is really sort of going to be? Like, does it sound? Like this is the state of the economy writ large, and as you you and I always talk about, like you know, beer is such a great way to look at all of the aspects of the economy because you can bring in all the issues. Yeah. But is this ever going to extend to, you know, like, you know, this started out as retail, right, and now they're looking at. No, no, it's it's just okay. So it's the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Economics. So Standing Committee means it's always yeah, operating, yeah. and then they look into various elements. This particular inquiry is an inquiry into promoting economic dynamism, competition, and business formation, with particular reference to the effect of diverse and dynamic business environment on productivity, prices, and better paid jobs. Our supply chain resilience to disruption. So that to me sounds a little bit like. It's a post-COVID investigation into why don't we make things, why don't we do things. But then it uh, has the extent to which anti-competitive behaviour and changes in industry structures have contributed to rising market concentration in Australia, which is bang on point for the brewing industry. Um, the extent to which economic barriers such as regulatory costs and barriers to finance infrastructure suppliers, customers and workers contribute to rising market concentration and slowing business formation rates in Australia. So it's a pretty wide-ranging thing, but that point B um, is looking specifically at anti-competitive behaviour. And, you know, look, I this, this has been the 650-odd small brewers' chance to mount a case about anti-competitive behaviour and make some specific recommendations um, to it. Now, they gave evidence, but I have to say that it was the most generalist of evidence that the, the, the IBA gave. You know, Tim Cooper came out all guns blazing, um, and we, 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 we wait to see what comes of that. But this was small brewers' chance to really give 
concrete examples of where they're being disadvantaged in um, tap contracts, and they it, it was a very general, very general thing. And again, like that's not a criticism; that's just an observation, because the IBA doesn't have. You know, it was in the lead up to Brucon. It was in the lead up to the Indies. It was. Um, you've got the Fasans um, stuff that you're now doing that you weren't doing at the time, Sabrina. This was just another stretch for the IBA to have to take on that it just doesn't have the resources for. Um, and yet you have a large number of brewers complaining about this very issue when they're not members of the IBA and they've not made submissions themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, all I can say, I, I mean, I can't speak for the IBA. What I can no, say no, no, if no. I take this isolated project of the Fazans, which I'm sure we'll come to, is the IBA, as you wrote about, uh, has provided a template to members to enable them to make their own submission with all of the information that we have available, that co- that we, the IBA, has available that contains the best data and the best argument that is backed up by something that the IBA is able to make. Um, and hopefully over time, the more that breweries participate in the submission process, the more that breweries participate in providing the data into the IBA to help them make the case, the more the sort of snowball effect keeps keeps going. And the fact that these items are now on record, as you've got there, Matt, mm. enables the IBA to reference them and say, hey, we know you were taking information. Here's our opportunity to say why we don't believe that that's correct. So, Well, and that's why are- it's frustrating because like three, four years ago, I, I covered the story because, you know, for, for years we've been hearing about tap contracts. Finally, one fell off the back of a truck, you know, in my favor because no one will give them to you because no one wants to be punished and often that they have, you know, non-disclosure provisions in the contracts. So Lion and CUB can say whatever they want in Parliament, reasonably confident that they're not going to be gainsaid, that they're not getting in the way of small brewers. But, you know, four years ago I wrote about it and it specifically named Stone and Wood um, and Coopers. And it, so, so it's on the record. But, you know, I'm, I'm not an industry lobbyist. I, all I can do is cover the stories. You know, and I, I've, I've got my own views and, you know, I'd, without having anything against the big brewers, you know, I... I do have a view that it's not a competitive marketplace and that level of tap contracting and naming styles and categories of styles, not to mention breweries, I, that is clearly counterproductive um, to a, a, a marketplace. But all I can do is cover the story. I can't be the industry advocate and do that because it makes the coverage less Independent. Well, nor is it your job, right? That's, it's mm. just not your job. But anyway, so so but it was, it was frustrating. It was frustrating for Ian to sit there reading the articles when I'm sort of sitting here hearing David Smith, um, the MD of Lion, go, you know, we have an absolute policy. You know, even before the thing was over, I was emailing their media team going, hold on, David has just said this. Yet I refer you to this article when you acknowledge that you actually do contract against independence. Yeah, you know, they they sort of said, well, small, um, but they were in, in an independent brewer, um, and you know, so all I could do was ask them. Well, he said this. What do you do this? 
But so you're shouting at your screen as you're watching this my... committee, going wishing you wishing they had one of those comment here buttons where you could like add your feedback as it went. When it, yeah. Some sort of participatory tool. Yeah, well, 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 you know, but again, it's not my role to even bring it to their attention. Hey, I covered this, you know, four years ago, but it was, you know, it was it was an opportunity for the IBA, for example, to cite. Like here is an example of media coverage of, a, you know, of a, of a contract that specifically excluded an independent, um, because then when Lion and CUB had the committee would have had the, um, you know, be able to say, well, we we refer you to this. Explain this, please. Well, even the structure, though, Matt, the indie small guys went first, giving the big brewers a right of reply, as opposed mm. to the big brewers going first without the small guys getting the right of reply. Well, that's so, always the way, you know. It's, it's who gets it, the last word? Who gets the last word? And, and and again, you know, I don't think we should underestimate that the way government is structured, the big guys always get the last word, or they get more <laughs> of a say. And so, even even that layout precludes the IBA from or or anyone lobbying on behalf of small breweries from saying you said x that's incorrect because we don't you don't know what they're going to say so you know there's structural inequality even in the way that this thing was set up which if if you had your if you really understood the beer market you would have structured it differently to get a different outcome absolutely but but, but this just sh- demonstrates uh, to your point, even around the quality of questions, that the fact that they couldn't understand how excise is calculated on a carton of beer, um, it just shows how much more work there is to be done by the collective industry to educate broadly on these impacts, oh, on, and, on and, the and ground impacts on small breweries. And that excise one was just funny because it, it was about four or five minutes just going back and forth about what the excise on a carton, you, you think something, it, it's simple maths. It's this level of alcohol is this level of tax and they were going back and forth. Um, and, and it just shows how, you know, and, and clearly this member of parliament was prepared and he's just going, an average carton of beer. And you go, well, what is an average carton of beer? Are you talking 4.4% or 4.9%? Because oh. the tax is going to be vastly different. And it it's, was the best it's... argument for how ridiculous the excise is. But anyway. Yeah. If you if you haven't read the article, do read it and go through so you can share my frustrations, and you can see how um, having this position to be able to speak in that way can bring twists about how they talk about how rebates work, um, about the effect of rebates versus marketing, um, about uh, twisting to things like uh, short ordering. Um, I've have been there and done that, Mister Smith. I know how to do that and manage that in a bar to short order a product so that I can fulfill um, a tap contract. Um, and but if they're the one that's there, they're the one that's got the voice. They're the one that's able to sell their story. And the way we can sell our story is by using our, our ourselves as an industry, banding together, putting forth anything we can, and getting involved and making our voice heard. And, and yeah, collective action. Actually, that's the one thing I will say is that even without being prepared, or even without you know, the members of parliament had it in front of them. Because on one hand, you've got Lyon saying, "Well, it's our marketing, the strength of our marketing, and our publicans are unfettered. You know, they can pour whatever they want. You know, and it's it's consumer choice what they pour." But then, in in, in the same breath, they are contracting against specific brands. Um, and you're kind of going, well, how do those two things 
if you're saying that publicans are free, why are you then contracting specifically against particular brands or styles of beer? Um, it, it just doesn't stack up even logically on, on, on the evidence. But anyway, that's probably go, – go read the articles. Um, there's going to be a lot more coming um, of, of that one, I'm sure. But it also opens the door for the conversation, right? I, I yep. think, you know, like there's been coverage of it now. Things like this would go – would fly under the radar, Matt, in terms of the broader industry even knowing it's happening. So the fact that it's got coverage now gives us – um, and it's quoted, gives us collectively, you know, the royal we, gives us all the opportunity to say, hey, um, this was quoted here, that's not true because. Um, it, it gives us the platform to follow up. So, you know, I think um, every opportunity for breweries to talk about the why is a good outcome. And if you've right. got if you've got evidence of any competitive practice, give it to the RBA. You know, and, and I'm you. sure they would. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> if if you want, um, but anyway, but it's yeah. It, I, I think again, being constructive in the industry, it's having the industry representative. But um, okay, let's uh, move on to the next story. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a couple of bingo points. Um, we've got Mighty Craft, um, and I, I hadn't realised that their results were coming out on Tuesday when on Monday I wrote an article about Trevor O'Hoy leaving. So that was the first thing. Trevor O'Hoy, a former managing director and chief executive officer of Carlton United Breweries um, and was a shareholder and board member of Lion uh, at the time of its sale to Stone and Wood, um, joined the Minecraft board in April um, with a very <laughs> – his uh, arrival was seen as a positive step in the board renewal process. However, um, four months later, he – and I couldn't resist, uh, as a couple of people have pointed out, his departure statement basically said he doesn't have time to that the board needs – um, but Better Beer has some significant assets, um, uh, you know, uh, that have some value. And I just thought that, that just sounds like a doctor sort of saying, look, you know, it's not worth it. Let's turn off life support and just uh, harvest the harvest the liver <laughs> and, and, and harvest the organs. But um, so, so that was uh, one day. Then the next day, uh, Mighty Craft uh, announced their results. Which was a, it was a paper profit, but that included a one-off thirty million lift from Better Beer's valuation being added to to their books, but they had a uh, an EBITDA, an underlying EBITDA loss of uh, six million dollars. But it was the astounding comments made by Chair Chris Malcolm um, uh, when he opened his investor briefing um, and go go read the article but basically saying the previous board did everything wrong and everything that they touched was problematic um, and uh, just came out and um, yeah uh, and, and also we have an extremely large cost base that has been built at head office and is simply unsustainable to make it very simple if you consider the last financial year we had a 48% increase in sales and yet we can't make a profit shows you how high our cost base is my response to that was simply, duh. <laughs> you know, like, I think that was the, the, the line of questioning I posted to, to Mark Hazeman in the uh, 2021, um, in, in, in the very testy 2021 uh, viewers conversation um, when he kept talking about platform for growth. Yep. It's a very costly business the way that it, it has been run over the, over the years. So 
that's just stating what many had already suspected uh, about there. It's very interesting to come um, so strongly and so hard against the previous board um, in that way. Um, okay, Chris, let's see. Let's see what you can do. Well, I guess he's trying to say to the market, "We're, we're stopping the hemorrhage. Like we're, we're stopping the bleeding. Um, mm. It's a new day." He's trying to sort of rally the troops, rally the market to sort of say, "Get in behind us." It's still good. We've still got a plan. We're going to make it right. He, he's his his language is all um, the tide is turning. But I just had a quick look on uh, the stock exchange, and um, certainly uh, to, at two point nine cents um, <laughs> was the last one. It says so. It's opened low of 2.9 and that's the last um so they've had a 33 percent drop since i was last on the podcast in a couple of weeks. so <laughs> oh so look i don't think the market is with them but you have to wonder this question you know how's better beer getting wrapped up in it but it's truly astounding that they've got a market cap that's lower than the valuation of you know one of their core assets wouldn't that be a good opportunity then if you're a larger player to come and get a significant stake in better beer uh, be a cheap way to do it if you really thought that there was um, something worth having in there. Well, you, they're, they're targeting 17. It, it's 10 million litres for the financial year closed. They're targeting 17 million litres this year. So, you know, in, in terms of volume, that's significant volume. Yep. A major player taking that volume in-house and not paying toll brewing rates um, would increase the profitability of it, and it's a you know, and it's a growing brand. The, the the question I have is, does any one of the majors want a third share in a um, yeah, to only buy a third share, not a controlling share? They probably don't just want a third share, but that's a way of um, grabbing that, uh, getting a hold of that third share as a start, and possibly putting pressure as the valuation of what the other two thirds are. So if you can say I paid, so what's the the um, market uh, position of Mitercraft at the moment? Market cap of $10.2 million. 10.2. Okay, so let's go in and say you do a deal and you get it across it at $10 million. You've now got um, 30% of um, of better beer for for uh, a third of what its supposed value is. Um, that gives <laughs> you a position then to put pressure to buy the others. You can say, okay, well, it's actually now not worth $90 million. It's only worth $30 million. But we'll give you forty-five million for that for that remaining two thirds. Um, so it could be a way of of doing a, a move into there, and at the same time too, making yourself look greater. But look, we're going to come in here and we're going to be able to make it cheaper and, and make the it more valuable because we're going to be able to produce it cheaper because it'll be done through us. It just could be a way. Um, it could be a possible way in because yeah, if you're wanting to, if you're an interested party in that. Why would you go and do it at its full realization when you can just go in and buy Mightycraft and get thirty percent for a fraction of its worth? Because you get oh, all look, the debts. I know it doesn't all <laughs> work that easily, but yeah, yeah. So, so, so you, you pick get up all, all the Mardi debts, Kraft. but but even so, you know, again, yeah. like you, if 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 well, you're not going to get Mightycraft at the share rate because I mean, I, I we do have a lot of financially savvy listeners who know this much better than I do, but. When you do an on-market um, takeover, you, know, you, you have to pay a premium and it has to be a fair premium like, and it has to be fair value and whatever, the, the board has to agree and blah, blah, blah. So you, you'd still be picking it up to, to get full control. You'll be paying more than the current market price. Um, 
but certainly at $10 million, even with the debt, when you factor in better beer um, and the, the various breweries and distilleries and uh, things, the, 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 the breakup value of the business is more than $10 million. Um, it is certainly undervalued there. But um, the, the thing that I on, – on a valuation front, that's the thing that I find very interesting. Um, firstly, better beer, you know, the numbers that were being talked about back in March was its valuation at 10, 12 million litres was $200 million. They haven't done their raise yet, um, and they're, they're saying it's partly because of the woes at Mighty Craft. But even Mighty Craft is valuing, you know, optimistically um, better beer at around $95 million um, for the for 100% ownership, um, despite it expecting to go to 17 million litres. So that's, uh, you know, certainly a, a, I think Stone and Wood was 21, 22 million litres when it sold for half a billion dollars um, two years ago. But then also Jetty Road. So Jetty Road, which produces a million litres a year, um, and, you know, is, is a nice little brand, a nice little venue, um, has been sold for three million. So when you're looking at the equity crowdfunding rate. If you want to know what a brewery is worth, look at what they're selling for, not what they're raising at. Um, because you know brands like Traveller are apparently raising at $30 million, but just try selling it at $30 million. You know, it's an, it's an anticipatory value. Um, but a million litre brand that's quite a nice, tidy little brand is only selling for $3 million for a million litres um, built in. So, you know. Oh, I mean, that's a... That's a pretty big difference between uh, some of the uh, Black Hops, your mates, mm. uh, valuations of only a year ago. Mm. Very much. And that's pretty, that's a pretty, but I, I think, like, I, I guess my thing with Minecraft when I was thinking about sort of the duopoly of uh, the market and thinking about that sort of structural inequality in the market and I was sort of looking at, you know, there was this hope that Mighty Craft might be something that 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 um, tries something new and I know we're going to come to it, Matt, but you're starting to see sort of vertical integrations in the market and consolidations. We're seeing more closures. It is certainly a time when the market as we've known it for let's call it now on a decade is sort of really it feels like the ground is shifting. Like we've still got this duopoly, we've got these other things, but it very much feels like the market as we understood it is becoming much more uh, difficult to read, much more complex. Very much. And we'll come to the consolidations, but before we do that, we'll, the, the next story on the agenda is the new chair for ABAC. Um, after five years as chair of the Alcohol Beverages Advertising Code Scheme, Harry Jenkins AO has announced his retirement with the honorary Tony Smith former Speaker of the House of Representatives, named, and I should say that Harry Jenkins was a former Speaker of the Senate. Um, and they, the, the, the um, ABAC scheme did make a point of saying that they have, uh, let me see, a statement, uh, they have a history of appointing former parliamentary presiding officers due to the impartiality and integrity they bring to the role. This is you know, a huge supporter of ABAC, as you know. Um, you know. I think it's very important and the industry needs to support it. I have to say that when I saw this, First of all, I was surprised that it was another, you know, well, past middle-aged white male. Um, 
as but then if you if you're only going to be drawing from I was say, parliamentary speakers, speakers then <laughs> you have a very young. limited pool but that in itself the fact that they drew attention to that i actually thought uh, tone deaf isn't the word but it, i thought it was a little bit surprising and with their history of appointing former politicians at a time when the anti-alcohol lobby is so militant and we also have the rise of the teal independent. Having a body that is supposedly independent but is still providing a pathway from politics to an, what is seen as an industry body, you know, oh, looks like it's... Oh, that's interesting. I read it the other way. Oh, did you? Well, you know, again, like it's, it's always been the way that you appoint former politicians, but the sinister view of that is, well, of course you're going to do that because they have their networks and so they become lobbying bodies to defend the alcohol industry despite their independence. Um, and the rise of the Teals, you know, is, is it's very different from Trumpism, but there is this whole mindset of they are independents, they're not part of a party block, um, so they aren't part of the swamp, whereas having a former speaker with all of their connections looks like they're part of the political swamp, which makes it very easy for the fairs and the anti-alcohol lobbyists to talk about the, um, the the influence that the alcohol industry has, even on politics. And yeah, I, I, I just sort of thought, you know, maybe they got it, maybe I'm planting seeds in people's minds, I don't know, but I, 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 I as a canary in the coal mine on this one, um, I worry that it is delegitimizing the independence of ABAC. That's a really interesting take, Matt. I am such an institutionalist. Um, I, you know, I really believe in government. I believe that government works for the good of people. I believe fundamentally in its sort of doing its best in a really complex environment. Well, I, I do too. Really I really believe to in the, the foundations yeah. of our system. And so I read this and went, oh, well, that's a natural choice. Speaker, the role that they've had to play, the impartiality, they've got proven impartiality, proven ability to get things done kind of across multi-stakeholder. That is an obvious choice for this role that is very complex where if you had to choose someone independent, um, there would be lots of lobbying and, and fighting about where that person came from. I, I sort of read it the opposite, but I, I very much come at it with the lens of, quite frankly, having faith that somebody who has served in that role is Well, that, I do I, as well, and I, and I like that idea, I, I but we're also talking about this, but we're also talking yeah. about this in a week when... Qantas has been yeah. accused of giving the Prime Minister's son access to the Chairman's Lounge around about the same time that certain favourable decisions have been made in their favour. And, you know, how do you justify that exercise of soft power on behalf of Qantas? It, it just looks, you know, quite apart from the impartiality that the person has or the, all, all of the things that you said, there is still an appearance that can be perpetuated. But if, if you were to do it from another source, I think your chance of lobbying and of politicising the position can actually become greater. It's the same as if you have a democratically elected president rather than appointed um, head of state. Yep. You know, the, the problems that you get on, on both sides there. And having it as someone from an outside source then would make um, or possibly may make background checks to influence a little bit more difficult 
whereas through Parliament um, we do have we have had some degree of of check on them and some degree of um, monitoring that may not be perfect, um, but is is something towards helping to maintain or to be able to monitor um, impartiality in that role. And to me, it also gives it the look of sort of quasi-government, which is sort of the look that we want AVAC to have so yep. that it doesn't become government. Um, it's got this sort of quasi sort of, I don't know, like I think you're not wrong. I think it's a really, really valid I think you're both. I, I, I think you're both right. I guess my sensitivity would be around... I don't think, yeah. That's the accusation I was making, I would be making. I'm not saying that that's real, but that's my fear for the optics of it. Well, let's hope nobody from FAIR is listening. (laughs) I'm sure sure they wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. Um, Hello, FAIR. Um, (laughs) Moving on, mixed views, actually, initial interest, FAIR, mixed views in New Zealand on the new Alcohol Supply Act. The Brewers Association of New Zealand has expressed disappointment that the country's government has passed a bill that could retrospectively see existing bottle shops closed following community objections. The New Zealand Parliament this week passed the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Community Participation Bill designed to admit the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act to influence to increase the influence of local communities on alcohol licensing decisions in the area. Essentially, if you need to go through a process to get an uh, an alcohol supply permit, you know whether it's a brewery, a bottle shop, you know pub, that sort of thing. This was beefing up the ability for local communities to oppose those grants. The interesting thing about this is it wasn't, um, and and the act said grandfathered, but I understand that that's it, it's grandparented these days. I think is the um it, 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 it is is the uh, clause. Um, so existing businesses were protected, you know, and, and the decisions were making, you know, just applied to any further applications. So effectively, we could see existing bottle shops closed or having their license not as a result of community um, objections. And one of the things I referenced, and I think we talked about it on the podcast without actually writing about it a couple of weeks ago, was um, a, a bottle shop in Auckland was closed down when they just they actually applied to extend their hours, um, and as a result of that application, their their, their license was actually revoked. Um, and yeah, it, it was really really interesting. Um, so you know, I, I'm I'm very conflicted about this one as well because I think local communities are the people that should be deciding what is fair and reasonable in their own communities. The problem for me with this one isn't just that it's not; re- it can be retrospective, but you could live in another city entirely and still make – so you can just be an advocacy body, again, like FAIR, hello FAIR, um, and marshal your members from across the country who have no connection and no, you know, relationship with the area under application and still – result in a, in, in a negative application. I think the retrospective part of it is super, super scary. That's really scary, particularly on a small business. This could be a life destroyer. Um, like we have to, with the nature of businesses in our industry, we have to be sensitive about where they are um, and we hopefully have councils that are careful and consider that as well. And... It mentioned with uh, in the article there, Matt, about um, 
even if the business was pre-existing to a um, conflicting business or, or conf conflicting, um, what's the thing I'm looking for, like, like a school or something coming set up then afterwards, um, that should be council's consideration at the time that that is not an appropriate place to put the school if there is already something that meets a code in that area that is against that. And then to then have um, retrospective um, cancellation, cancellation of, of licenses that could really destroy people's lives. This is very, very worrying. I um, really don't like this one um, at, at all. I, yeah, I find it ups upsetting that something of this nature could be um, brought in in with an immediate effect rather than um, this is the way it's going to be in 10 or 15 years' time so that things can be planned for that. So I listened to this really fascinating podcast the other week, um, as I do. This one was about UK politics, so politics in the UK, and it was an interview with people who are in um, what they call like the nighttime um, arts. So this was nightclubs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about the precise problem where there were these areas that were previously quasi-industrial uh, or arts communities would get together and they would have these nightclubs that become sort of institutional to that uh, group, that community. And then gentrification happens. And so cities push out, uh, developers are building luxury apartments, developers aren't building them with um, appropriate sound, um, you know, they're building them cheaply to sell them and then people are moving in that the nighttime arts aren't part of their life cycle and then complaining about the noise and complaining about the people that are there and complaining about the restaurants, the bars, the nightclubs, the things that are open. And I think about that a lot with our sort of changing communities, right? Our communities are going to change over time. But... Um, the developer doesn't, to your point, Ian, the developer isn't going, is this the best place that we should be building luxury apartments that cater to young families given these other things are in the street? No, they're going, it's cheap fucking land. We can sell it for X. We can make a profit. Who cares? And so I think there is this piece that, you know, it was a really good example to me. I thought about it a lot in the context of breweries uh, and the changing um licensing challenges they have in various parts of cities even to open a local small brewery because of, you know, the confusion about whether it's manufacturing or hospitality or whatever. And I was like, if you could set up a business and then some developer comes in, sets up something else, and then, you know, all the stay-at-home mums decide that they don't like your product, can then retrospectively have you kicked out, you know, again, it's just so problematic. And so, I'm with you, Ian. I just think, um, you know, we, we really look overseas as to what could happen in Australia. Um, we don't have the same legislative framework in Australia, in most states even, um, but it's not out of the question that these sorts of issues will start to arise here, including as the nature of our cities where our breweries are continues to change. And that's where I'm looking. I'm just going to jump back on my hobby horse get your bingo cards ready. This is why our behaviour as an industry matters because if we're going to lobby on behalf of these issues in Parliament, if we're at the same time defending ourselves from bad behaviour, you just have less of an argument to make. But anyway, that's a, 
Um, actually, I throw this one to you, Sabrina. <laughs> like, I, I, I wrote the article, but I, I, uh, the IBA supports the status quo on carbohydrates and uh, sugar claims on labelling with one important caveat. Maybe you can talk us through that. Um, uh, hi, everybody. I'm putting my IBA hat on now. <laughs> um, I um, As the industry knows, um, for Zan- the food standards have been consulting on a number of labelling issues with the alcohol industry, one of which is the ability for all alcohol to claim we are low-carb, we're carb-free, we're um, low-sugar, we're sugar-free. Again, this, this is across um, all alcohol. And the practice has been for some time that carbohydrates and sugar claims can be made on alcoholic products, provided that they're supported by a full nutrition information panel. That's been sort of a practice that was um, grandparented, uh, that was allowed for a period of time due to lack of clarity through the legislation. And this consultation was to decide whether that would be formalised in the cons- through the legislative process or whether we needed to adopt something else. Fazans have come out and said um, we that their recommendation based on all of the available material is to essentially confirm the status quo, that is carbohydrate and sugar claims can be made provided they are supported by a full nutrition information panel. The IBA's position is... Um, that we support that finding from Fazans uh, with a couple of caveats, one being that they that any required nutrition information panel um, should be able to be provided through digital linking or a QR code so that the the late that the nip doesn't need to go on can or on label but it can be digitally linked. Um, and that's because you know as um, Kylie quoted to you Matt, you know, lots of our brewery, lots of small breweries are already using QR codes to tell their own stories. Um, and so that's a place that we can house the data. Um, and then the second caveat, which is something that's come up just in the last little while, was really, um, and again, Bruce News wrote about it um, some time ago, but is really clarifying this role of um, lactose. Um, and that is because under the existing framework um, and as part of clarifying the ability for breweries to make carbohydrate and sugar and if you read into the legislation sugars claims um you're not currently you would not be permitted for example to say this milk stout is lactose free the ability to claim lactose free would not be permitted under the um proposal by Fazans and we've had this issue come up around lactose is not the named allergen it is a component of milk, which is the named allergen, um, but because lactose is a sugar, is sugars within the definition of Fazans, it would be precluded. And so the IBA has just said, hey, we think that needs tidying up. Um, if we're going to help consumers understand whether it's allergen-free, we should be able to say it's allergen-free. Um, and so with those two caveats, um, we've made that submission. And, of course, the IBA has encouraged every brewer, every member brewer and certainly all independent brewers to um, make their own submission. They've provided a template. The submission deadline is Monday. It would be really, um, really fabulous to see as many breweries as possible make our case. This is good practice for how we are going to be making our case over and over and over again. Um, we've put some pretty astounding figures in um, the document around just what labelling changes could cost us um, based on some of the outcomes of the pregnancy warning labelling um, issues and on some of the 
financial modelling provided by Fazans. So I encourage everybody to A, read the submission. B, if you've got time, read the underlying material. And C, most importantly, um, have your voice heard, make a submission to uh, government. And the details on how to do that are both A, in your article, Matt, but B, in your inbox, uh, the IBA sent it through. So that's my IBA plug today. Um, but, you know, let's get practised at lobbying, guys. Ian, anything you want to pick up on that one? Uh, yes, I just wanted to say you heard Sabrina. We need to do this. This is one of those times where we've talked about uh, multiple times this year where you have to spend a few minutes and put pen and paper Click on some links and make it happen. So just do it. End of case, just do it. It's been really pleasing to see, um, you know, there's been various breweries that have already provided their submissions in. It's been really lovely to see. Um, so, you know, the work should be done there. But, you know, I think the topics are pretty complex. The reason, Matt, as you said, we picked this up, I did this for the Brewers Guild. So I was sort of already across this when it started in 2017. Um, so sort of I was able to kind of pick it up somewhat quickly for the IBA. But it, it, it is a, it seems like a really little issue. Uh, but if we're talking about for the beer industry, death by a thousand cuts, it's every single little one of these. Um, every win is important. And this, the ability to, to continue this, and if we can get it on QR codes would be a big win for us. Exactly. Uh, now moving on. Um, yeah, there, there were two acquisition stories this week. The, the first one was Fox Friday Brewery bought Carwin Cellars. Um, so it's basically Brewery Buys Bottle Shop. The other one that was probably more significant, um, certainly worth looking into in an otherwise busy week, was 1313, uh, which is the uh, parent company um, of Other Side Brewing, um, acquired Nowhere Man, crosstown rival, uh, or, or sorry, didn't acquire Nowhere Man, um, and, and this is where it was worth looking into, acquired the assets of Nowhere Man, um, but not the Nowhere Man business. And that's where I find it very, very uh, interesting, and it's, it's relevant how these stories were broken, because I was just checking to see, it, it, it appeared on, on one side that wrote some very glowing um, positive stories about it. But particularly when I look into the 1313, it's interesting. We earlier this year we covered Triple One Three because it was an equity crowdfunding business. Um, it raised one point one million dollars of a hoped for two point five million dollars back in twenty twenty one, and as a result, had to publish its financials. Um, they were published earlier this year, and I think they had a loss of three hundred twenty three thousand dollars in the year before that they did their um, equity crowdfund and then in last financial year they lost $1.8 million. So we did a story looking at that. So this has been pitched in one way of two companies coming together because all of the industry buzz is around consolidation. Um, you know, in, in, in digging a little bit more, 1313 has acquired the assets of uh, nowhere man, but not the nowhere man business. And I did specifically ask, have you taken on any debt or anything like that? Because we have seen that with other businesses. And James Legg from Triple One Three said, no, we haven't taken on any debt or any obligations. So nowhere man becomes a shareholder in return of Triple One Three, but in doing so, he's given over its assets to Triple One Three. So it's it doesn't really sound like a 
a merger um, as such. It's, you know, it's I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not quite sure how to describe it. Um, but again, just as a as an observer, it sounds like it's a, it, it sounds like it's two businesses trying to find a way forward as opposed to a merger from a position of you know strength or a position of uh, you know um, I, yeah, I I don't know how to describe it, but it, it it sounds like we're doing this because we kind of have to, as opposed to we're doing it because it makes great business sense. Yeah, this is a. I'm slightly confused as to why this has taken place in the structure that it's, um, it's happened. It's certainly a little bit unusual, but obviously there must be some underlying reason why they feel that that was the best um, the best way forward, the best way to, to make it happen. Maybe it was just the neatest and cleanest way um, to make it happen. Uh, so let's look and see what happens um, with this, and good good luck to them with, 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 with whatever this future endeavour is. 100%. Could I be cynical and say it's because then they get to both maintain their status as legally and economically independent? Uh, um, okay. Actually, that's something um, that I hadn't considered. I have considered which it Which is they before. both maintain their three. I just thought of it then. They both because, because what I was thinking about, and here's how I arrived at that question, you know, I think it's fair to say that in this market we've also seen two volu- two breweries close this week, Pioneer Brewing uh, and... Two Pe- this week, one last week, yeah, that's right. And Burley and one last week. So, you know, it's fair to say people are trying new things um, and one of, the, uh, one of the things that the local collective... Thanks, collective. Local drink squad. Way and batch. Way word and batch. Lo- local drink squad. One of their things was, you know, this enables um, the ability for lo- legally and economically independent. And so I-, I just wonder whether that is sort of part of they've really thought through the structures to maintain that financial position. Um, and and again, I just sort of think it, it's it's entities having conversations probably over a beer so it's these breweries getting together over a beer saying shit it's really really hard maybe what can we do together to maybe get through this and I think it's you know like anything it might not work but at least they're giving it a crack um you know clearly they're trying to maintain their workforce and keep people employed um they're trying to keep two brands alive we don't know whether it's going to work but they're trying something, oh, and, and, so and, and you have to. But, but and I think that's the, the the point that I was trying to make is that it's not um, two powerhouses coming together to make an even bigger powerhouse. It's a couple of businesses that are trying to find the way forward because they have to. Um, and sure. But if I was writing for the consumer market, there's no world in which I would be saying that. I would be saying. Well, but we're an industry publication. This, that's right. Yeah. yeah so, so, that's so, what so I we're mean. talking about You're it. You're approaching at it from a completely different perspective. The way that they've communicated it, I'm sure, is to the broader market, which is to say, "Hey, this is a great outcome. Look at us." And I would and, do the same if it was my business. And, and that's where it's yeah. Look, and, and that's where I think that it is. That's why I made the time to to, to cover this one in a very busy day, um, because. We do see from time to time the industry adopting narratives um, about what the way forward is. Or, or, and, and when we saw it with Zero Alk, you know, there was just a accepted wisdom that Zero Alk or that people were drinking less and low Alk. And, you know, a couple of the conversations I've had with people that monitor data, I, I can't say too much, but 
zero alk has found its level. It's not growing, and it's not anything more than it was. Like it, 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 it it's, it's a thing. It, 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 it's, it, it's, it's a segment. It's not a growth segment, or it's anything like that. But yet the industry all starts swimming in the in, in the one direction. And the reason that this is relevant is I've seen a lot of conversations around amalgamation, amalgamation, amalgamation coming together. We've seen it in the states. We've seen we're starting to see it here. And unless you have a very good strategy and reason to come together, the mere fact that you come together isn't a salvation any more than opening multiple. Yeah, actually, that's a great example. All of the venues a couple of years ago decided to start opening multiple venues, all of the breweries, thinking that the hub and spoke model was the way forward. I haven't seen any of them succeed with that model. And yet the number of breweries that suddenly said, hold on, if we don't do this, we're going to miss out. If you've got a reason to come together, if it makes good strategy, if there are compelling reasons, good luck to you and, 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 and do it. But don't just sort of look at the positivity around isolated cases of it because in six to 12 months you might find that some of the synergies and things didn't work out. Well, it's almost, Matt, all the cautions that go into should you open your own brewery and how do you set up are the same cautions that go into um, what is the next structure for you? Because, you know, all of the things like, okay, you part, you join two businesses together and then you're mates, but now you actually have to work together every day and you realise you can't work together because you, you run businesses differently. Your businesses are culturally different. What Whatever all of those other issues are when you think about, you know, merger and acquisition checklist, whatever the structure is going to be, um, certainly all the same cautions that go into setting up and planning uh, for the setup and the exit and the how you do it are the same cautions that would go into setting up any business, right? It's just sort of that next step. And so, um, you know, there's a whole lot of work that goes into making sure these things are successful. And that's the thing, and I, you know, I, I, I'm my thinking is just governed, and it was on the Brewbound podcast last week, and I haven't had a chance to follow up, but they referenced a writer who had been very critical of the beer media in, in, in the US. And this goes back to that toxic positivity conversation that there are still, that they were referring to the number of breweries that are still in planning, the number of applications for permits for breweries to open that are still taking place. Um, and I, I can't remember the name of, of the person. It's something I want to follow up on um, in an otherwise busy week. But they re- referenced some industry observer who held the media to account for their lack of questioning coverage on the of, of the industry um, as being one of the reasons that so many breweries are still opening because there is still a perception that it's a golden age of brewing and that everyone's making money. And that's just not the case. And that's where I think when we see these things – it's our obligation not to become a cheer squad for them, but to try and understand what the model is, what they're hoping to achieve, and then later look back and see whether they did that because, you know, otherwise everyone else is just reading, hey, this is a brilliant idea, we should all do the same thing. And that's, that's what got us here in the first place. Did you see the article? Uh, I'm sure you post. You saw it. I posted. Um, Listeners, I posted an article into the Radio Brews Facebook group that basically called beer the multi-million-dollar investment for celebrities, and I Gosh. just was so cranky. I was like, "How does something like that get out the door? Like, has that not been sense-checked by anyone? A no. multi?" And I just, anyway, I was. 
I was, they called it the multi-million dollar lucrative industry for packaged celebrity beer. And I thought, oh, Did man. somebody say, did, did, was it a comment or was it in the article that Andrew Johns, who is in yeah, Steelers, has Matty, found it much? Matty Johns. Matty Johns. Matty, oh, Matty Johns, Johns has found, yeah. <laughs> said that he thought he was going to make money and he just hasn't. Yeah. And Steelers and and, uh, and they've just done a capital raise as well, you know, again, to try and keep the, the business growing. So. Anyway. Um, well, if you joined two businesses together and were thinking about bringing out a new beer mat, is there anyone that you think you might need to get in touch with? Well, particularly if I was looking for synergy and you know cost effectiveness, I would be giving my good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging a call because they are just the end-to-end packaging solution. You know, you think of it, they can do it, and they'll do it with a smile on their faces because you know that's just the sort of people they are. And if you want to find out more about how they can do bottle labels, can labels, shrink sleeves for cans, and those are supplied ready to fill if you didn't know. Um, cartons, either printed or plain, tap decals, coasters, or four-pack barcodes, and much, much, much more. Um, you can give them a call on 1300 852 235, or you can email them at sales at au. Let's just roll straight into the Brewery of the Week now. Sure. Brewery of the Week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litre at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you're after a one-off pitch or you are looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03851831172 and talk all things yeast. Um, and my Brewery of the Week is Sober brewery on the Gold Coast. Um, I had the opportunity on Friday post the Indies to actually get down to Sober and take a look. Um, And it's the sort of classic in the edge of an industrial estate. So feels like it's going to be a brewery, but you walk in and it's kind of a cafe. But then there's uh, stainless steel in the background. And I had the chance to talk to Luke Cooper. There's a there's an art gallery upstairs that's also that they have rotating Indigenous artists through. There's various Indigenous products um, available for sale, uh, a menu that also incorporates some Indigenous foods. But I had the chance to talk to Luke and sort of say, it doesn't really look like all the other breweries. It kind of looks like a cafe but with beer and it's sort of this new. But that's what you would want, isn't it? Because if it's, again, if you're going to be something that's different and an alcohol-free brewery, is going to be different from a main. You need yeah. to attract. You need to give people a reason to go, and being a lot of things and not just a milk bar, kind of for, for want of a better term. So I'm glad to hear that it's so well done. Um, I, I went there on Thursday and had similar thought. I, th- I thought it was fantastic, and um, you know, in comparison, you know, we've talked about um, alcohol-free bars before, and it's like, well, is that just a milk bar? But I think in Sober's case, it's something very different because it is very much a brewery, and um, it's not following down that same path of the way things are set up in their tap room, so to speak, um, as as all the others. The, the the food menu was great. We ate there and, and loved it. Um, I had judged with Luke the week before, and he uh, was recommending to me the crocodile burger. I uh, got there, actually got distracted by the thought of having the wild boar, so I had that instead. But we'll be having the crocodile burger next time I go back, and I will be going back pretty soon because uh, I, I really enjoyed it there in the folk that were, were working there were really friendly and had a nice vibrant um good lighting through there naturally it was yeah i really enjoyed it and i was i was actually really happy to see the show notes that sober was brewery of the week because that was who i was gonna gonna recommend it was it was great loved it 
Well, I walked past Ian and I actually said to Luke Cooper, oh, nice new brewery. Uh, Ian would be pleased with how clean it is. Uh, So I'm glad that you'd been there the day before. But what I was going to say is Luke sort of pointed out that even their opening hours are different to a traditional brewery. They're open Monday to Saturday. They open at 7 a.m. So they don't even have the same sort of structure. They've really structured their business around the food and beverage that they have to offer, um, noting that they have a brewery. And so I think, you know, they're being quite thoughtful. And I just want to flag this, which is something that we don't know. But, you know, Sober was covered as one of the breweries in the lead up to BrewCon on the Gold Coast. Um, And for those of us that don't think that there is sort of ongoing racism or challenges for the brewing industry, I encourage you all to take a look at some of the posts um, on Sober when they shared the video from Nine News. And to say that it is sort of appalling and um, a bit gross um, would be an understatement. And, you know, um, the team at Sober have to to receive those messages on the daily um, and read through them and see what people are saying about them. Um, and it was pretty shit. So I just sort of think, you know, I thought Sober is as ever an interesting new offering in the alcohol, in the beer industry. They're making decent beer. They're employing. They're participating in all of the things that our breweries do, CDS schemes, uh, uh, labelling. They're doing all of the same things that we're doing. They've just found a different way to approach it, kind of like Two Bays did with their gluten-free, taking a new, unique approach. Um but because of the nature of their business and who's behind it, they are on the receiving end of some shit. So if you can give Sober some love, um, I would say highly recommend them as Brewery of the Week. Sounds wonderful. And uh, on that note, I think we should, it's been a busy, busy, actual hard news week. So that is the news that you need to use this week. Uh, that wraps up another week of news. Your host has been me, Matt Kirkegaard. I've been joined by Sabrina Kunz and Ian Watson. The show is produced and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode and every episode possible. And also to you, our listeners, for all of your feedback, thoughts and comments. And no doubt you'll have some strong views this week and we look forward to hearing them. We'll be back next week. Normal service will resume for Beer as a Conversation next week. Um, Apologies for not having one this week. And we'll be back again with next week's news same time. Uh, Have a good week and enjoy some good beers.